morning. Does anyone need a handout for the sermon today? Mark chapter number 3. Mark chapter number 3. And after all this time in the middle of April, we're to the third chapter of Mark. At this rate, by the time I'm 40, we will get through the book of Mark, I think. That's how it will be. And some of you won't even know how old you'll be by the time we get done with it. But I'm enjoying it, and it's a blessing to my heart, and it's, it helps even in my study habits and things. It's just amazing. It's just a, I like it. I like going through this whole book and looking at all the verses entirely. Mark chapter number 3, and we're going to dive in this morning. And as we get here this morning, we're going to approach this passage this morning from three different perspectives. First, from the view of a humble-hearted man. Secondly, through the lens of a hard-hearted religious guys. And then, thirdly, through the perspective of a holy heart of our Savior. We're going to read these verses this morning. We'll have a word of prayer, and we'll dive in. And we see that the withered hand gets restored. Jesus heals a man here. We see there are people that weren't happy about it. And in turn, Jesus wasn't happy. But he wasn't happy. He, was not, not, he wasn't angry about healing the man's hand. It was the attitude of the Pharisees. As we look at the message this morning, what type of heart describes your type of heart this morning? Do you have a humble heart before the Lord today? Or is your heart hard? It gets hard when we get filled up with pride. And there are many Christians who live in the sin of pride. And if you don't think so, just uh, you're probably a prime candidate this morning for it. Pride easily creeps into our lives. Sometimes we think to ourselves, I've got it, I, I'm pretty humble right now. If you ever make that statement, you lost all of it. And that's pride. And pride creeps in very quickly. Pride is something that we will struggle with as we have this old man. But look at chapter number 3, verse number 1. And he, Jesus, entered again into the synagogue. And there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man that had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he said unto them, to the Pharisees, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole. As the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, against Jesus, how they might destroy him. They wanted to destroy Jesus. Wow. The tension is building and building and building. We saw in chapter number two. They were angry because Jesus forgave a man's sins, which being God, he was more than able to do so. He ate supper with sinners, and they didn't like that. 
he uh, refused to honor their rituals and allowed their disciples, his disciples to pick and eat on the Sabbath. The religious people were upset and they were looking to trap Jesus with something. They went to the synagogue that day watching what he would do instead of focusing on what they could get for themselves. As we approach the message this morning, I want you to think inside of your heart this morning. Is my heart humble? Hard? What is it today? Father, we need you this morning. You're the only one in this room that knows our hearts better than we do. I don't know anyone else's heart. I, I need to worry about myself. I think that's how what could be said for each and every one of us this morning. We look at this passage this morning, and how could a religious group of people want to destroy the Son of God? Help us this morning as we break this down and look at it, and I pray that you would apply it to our lives and our hearts. We love you. We need you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As I mentioned, we're going to look at this passage through three different views. Number one, we see a humble heart. A humble heart. Let's look this morning, the first view in this passage through the eyes of a man with a lot of humility. He has a withered hand, and I would say a worshiping heart. There are some commentators, and I read a lot of commentators, and some would say they think that the Pharisees planted this man there to set Jesus up. We don't know if that's the case, and I tend to think that probably was not the case. He was there to worship God. As we look at this this morning, I want to give you a few thoughts about it, and when we think about this man, we think about a humble heart, he was in the right place. This is the place he should be in the synagogue. He should be where they worship the Lord and where the scripture is read and where the preaching happens. You see in verse number one, it says there that Jesus entered the synagogue and there was there a man with a withered hand. Even though he was going through a challenging time, he, that didn't keep him from gathering with God's people. That's a good word for us this morning because our tendency is when we're going through a hard time, that's when we cut out of things. That's when we don't be where we should be. And this man was in the right place. Praise God for that. And that would be good for us. You've got to understand something. When we go through a tough time, we need the Lord even more. That's not the time to unplug. That's the time you need to be plugged in even more than before. And so this man, he was in the right place. The word withered, it says, as we look here in chapter number 3, and there was a man there that had a withered hand. The word withered means to dry up and become paralyzed. It's the same word that would be used as a plant had been, had, that had died. The book of Luke tells us that it was this man's right hand, which means that he couldn't do a lot of physical labor and different things. And in the Greek, the withered here, it tells us that this hand had become withered. It was not, as we think about this, it was not, it was by either an accident or a disease. He was not born this way. It had become this way. And so we see he was in the right place. And what else about this man, this humble heart? The second thing is this. He obeyed. He obeyed. You drop down to verse number three. And Jesus said to him, stand forth. The word forth has the idea of motion. 
he got up and he came to Jesus. In Luke chapter number 6, the parallel passage in verse number 8, Jesus told him, rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he rose and stood forth. So what does Jesus tell him? Hey, get up and come right in the middle of everything. So he was probably in the back in his own little spot, and Jesus said, I want you to get up, come and get in the middle of everything. He obeyed. He did what the Lord told him to do. And that's, uh, that's great to see right here. And I don't know, was he a little nervous? I'm sure he was a little nervous. Maybe his heart was beating a little bit faster, but he obeyed and just simply did what the Lord told him to do. Jesus, want, you th- as we look at these things, this humble heart, he was in the right place. He obeyed. And then he showed extreme faith. We read this passage, and I don't think you quite grasp what, it, what it's talking about here. In verse 5, what does Jesus tell him to do? It says in verse 5, And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their heart, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. I'm not sure. You think about this. I don't think this man was used to using this hand anymore. Before the accident or before the disease, yeah, he stretched out this hand. He could do a lot of things with this hand. But as we look right here, what did Jesus tell him to do? Stretch forth your hand. But Jesus, don't you know how my hand is? I can't stretch it forth. It's not what it could. But what does the man do? Look at what it says in verse number 5. Stretch out thine hand, and he stretched it out, and the hand was restored whole as the other. Wow. Restored means to be back again. He was in the right place. He obeyed Jesus. And when Jesus said, do something, he believed him. And Jesus healed him. Sounds very similar to the man in John chapter number 5, where Jesus said, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the, and the, on the same day was the Sabbath. And we read those verses, but like this man here, he hadn't walked in a long time, if ever. And for Jesus to say, rise up and walk, <laughs> yeah, you really want me to do that? He got up and did it. Jesus tells the man here with the withered hand, hey, stretch forth, the, stretch forth thine hand. He does it in faith. Do you have a humble heart this morning? Do you have humility before the Lord? God resisteth the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How's your heart this morning? We see number one this morning through the eyes of a humble heart. Number two, we see a hard heart. A hard heart. We move from a humble-hearted man to some hard-hearted men. Instead of having compassion, thinking, oh, praise the Lord, this man's hand was healing, finally used his hand again. They weren't praising God for what took place. That wasn't even on their mind. There was no compassion for this man. They didn't care about this man. What they cared about was keeping their eyes on everything that Jesus did. To get him to be able to accuse him. And when we look at this this morning, 
They just wanted to clobber him. They were watching everything just to see what he did. There are three things I see that hard-hearted people do from this passage. Letter A, as we talk about a hard heart today, they find fault in others. Someone who's got a hard heart, they find fault in others. Verse number 2 tells us, And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. The word watch there has the idea of being extremely attentive, and the tense tells us that they kept on watching by the side of. These guys were not like the average Baptist that liked the back row of the church. They were sitting, Margie, that was for you, and they were sitting up front, paying attention to every little thing that Jesus would do. They weren't sleeping, but they weren't paying attention to the message that what's Jesus going to do that we can get him for? They were looking to see what is wrong with, what's, what is he going to do? It's like ever playing a game with people and you're watching to catch them do something. You know, as kids, there would be a game that we used to play. I forget what the name of it was. But basically, there would be one that was the murderer in the group. And the way it worked is they had to wink. If they could catch, get, get eye contact with you and wink and see how many people that they could. That's, you say, you went to a Christian church you were playing a game called that? Yeah, that was one of the games that we played. And uh, the whole goal was to keep your eyes open to see who was the one blinking so you could see who the, who the bad guy was. You're paying attention. Or as my kids, they liked that movie, Monsters, Inc. Anybody ever seen Monsters, Inc.? And what's that lady's name on there? Roz? Roz? Something like that? I'm watching you, Wazowski. You know, that, like that. That's, exact, that's exactly what they were doing. And that was a pretty good imitation. Some of you just have never seen it, so you don't quite get that. Look it up later on. But they were just keeping their eyes on him. The book of Luke, chapter 11, verse 53 and 54, talks about another time. And as he had said these things, and then the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak of many things, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. That's all they were trying to do. You notice their aim was to, co- to accuse or to condemn Jesus. They wanted something to have a formal charge to bring up against him. Specifically, they were looking, it's the Sabbath day, they were looking for what Sabbath law he would break. Reminds me of Psalm 37, verse 32. The wicked watch, the wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. Quite a contrast between the withered hand, the man that came to worship, and those that were wicked came to watch. See the difference between a humble heart and a hard heart? Hey, a hard heart finds fault in others. A hard heart could sit in the auditorium this morning and be like, so-and-so needs that point. Yeah, because you're focused on others and what they need instead of what do I need? Not only do they find faults in others, but they also, they won't admit wrong. A hard heart will, they won't admit wrong. Hard-hearted people find fault in others, but they won't admit their own wrongdoing. Jesus turns the tables on them and asks them a question, verse number four. 
Verse 4, look at what it says. And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they, hit, but they held their peace. They didn't say anything. He's asking them, Is it lawful? Jesus is taking them back to the Word of God, not some rules or some rituals that they followed. And he's trying to get them to answer out loud, but they won't do it because it will contradict the teaching that they followed. That's why they won't say anything right here. In the parallel account in the book of Matthew, chapter number 12, verse 11 and 12, Jesus expands it a little bit. He says, and he said to them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep and shall fall into a pit on the Sabbath day? Will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Was Jesus' response to them. We see in this verse that they held their peace, which means they were hushed, they were mute, they didn't say anything. Same thing that was used when Jesus talked to some demons and muted them. Same word used there. That's interesting. God understands something. When we stand before God, and when we come face to face with God, there's nothing we can do to justify our sin or to justify what we do or explain ourselves. It's kind of like what Job, in the book of Job, chapter 40, God speaks, and this was Job's response. Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer, yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. Someone with a hard heart has a hard time admitting wrong. It's part of pride, too. And it's so easy in our lives. I remember it was just a week or two ago. It actually happens like every other day. Someone will come and tell, Pastor, I don't like how you did this, and I'm not happy with you. I get that a lot. I don't know why, but I do. The first thing that happens, and I know you're better Christians than me in the room, right? You're all better Christians than me. But we'll be sitting in my office or whatever, and this happened, I, in the past three weeks, it's happened probably four times. And I'll just sit there, and if someone is just saying those things, my toes start to just, I'm starting to just get like this. And I'm like, you're in my office. I'm going to unload on you. And then I'm like, uh, Brian, 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 Brian. Anyone ever talk to themselves like that? I hope you don't call yourself Brian because I'm the only Brian in the room. <laughs> and if you call yourself Brian, no, don't do that. Don't you? <laughs> but I have to stop. They're trying to help. They're trying to, they're not trying to attack, they're trying to help. And what can I learn from this and become better at? That's how we need to be. And it's not always easy. A humble spirit, it's not easy. Someone attacks or someone comes after you, you want to lay into it. How dare you attack me? But then what's that person going through? There's so much to it that we never think of. And I know you're much better Christians in the room than me, so you never struggle with that. I'm just confessing my faults one to another, as it says there in the book of James. But you know, hard-hearted, 
They find faults in others. They won't admit wrong. And then the third thing is they get others to pile on. They never just keep it to themselves. They get others to pile on what's happening. After Jesus heals the man, look at verse number 6, what it says. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, against Jesus, how they might destroy him. The book of Luke adds they were filled with fury. They were upset that Jesus would heal this man, that he would ask them that question. They were upset about it. Some background, though, would help us out right here. The Pharisees saw themselves as the religious role models and the spiritual gatekeepers of Israel. They did not like Rome ruling over them at all. But get this, they immediately leave the synagogue here and go team up with the Herodians. Those were secular Jews who didn't care at all about religion, and they were loyal to one of Herod the great sons who ruled in Galilee. They liked having the Romans in charge because they brought order. Now think with me. This is crazy because the Pharisees and the Herodians had nothing in common with one another. The Phar- in fact, Pharisee means separatist, and yet they're willing to work closely with those who despised and who w- could destroy Jesus. They were on opposite levels, on opposite sides on almost everything, but they found common ground in their hatred of Jesus Christ. Maybe the Pharisees were thinking that Herod could put Jesus to death like he did John the Baptist. Or the followers of Herod could figure out a way to kill him. They hated Christ. And may I just remind you today, the world still hates him. And this world will hate him. When we're persecuted for following Christ, it's not us they're persecuting. They're persecuting him. And Jesus even said that. Remember when he came to Saul? Hey, it's me you're persecuting. But as we look here, you notice the word they want to destroy him. That phrase literally means to utterly do away with a person or thing. And isn't that ironic that Herod himself, when Jesus was born, according to Matthew 2.23, wanted to destroy him? When Herod couldn't do what Herod couldn't do, the Herodians and Pharisees are intending to finish. First time in the book of Mark we see the death of Christ, or it coming, we see an explicit reference to it. There's a lot of hypocrisy right here. Do you know why? These guys are upset that Jesus healed on the Sabbath, but they're plotting and planning to murder on the same day. That's the hypocrisy. I saw a meme this last week. It was this truck, and this truck had a, um, in the bed it had a cover, a topper, 
And then there was this big old beam coming out the back, this big old tree, this big old tree, this big old, this big old tree, big old beam. This person said, I'm going to go help someone else with all their problems. And they're toting around their big old beam that they need to take care of with themselves. How's your heart this morning? Do you have a humble heart? Do you have a hard heart? I've seen some characteristics of both. And I want to take a little bit of time this morning to talk about Jesus and his heart, a holy heart. Something that we as the people of God should be striving for. We've observed the humble. We've seen some hard hearts. Now let's look at Jesus. Three things jump out at me about Jesus here. The first thing is this. Look at verse number five. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he, he said unto the man, stretch forth thine hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. The first thing that we see is that Jesus looks around. He looks around, and this has the idea of a penetrating gaze. It's like as a kid, when you're doing something wrong, and mom catches you in the corner of her eye, and just, and you can just feel that look. Still, every once in a while, I still feel like my mom's in the room just staring at me say that's a guilty conscience that's none of your business don't worry about me <laughs> you worry about yourself this morning Jesus can you imagine we're all here this morning and let's be honest you could be a great Christian this morning or you could have been this last week the sorriest excuse of a Christian and everything that you did you could have done some things last night that would, you'd be ashamed for us all to know. But at the end of the day, I don't know. I don't know John's heart. Imagine being there in the synagogue with Jesus and knowing your heart. Let's be honest, he does know all of our hearts this morning. And we like to play good Christians, but you can't play with the Lord. He sees it all. He knows it all. And as we look at this and we think about Jesus and, the, and him looking at them, you know, you think about in John chapter number 2 and verse 25, at the middle of the verse there, it just talks about how, for he knew what was in man. He does. He knows how we are. And that's one of the reasons why he's merciful and compassionate, too. I love there in the book of Psalms, as we talk about that verse, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. I think two verses down from there, it says, For he knoweth our frame, he remembers that we're dust. Jesus, he looks around here. And when Jesus looks at you and I, and he does, what does he see? I love 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse number 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. I love that verse. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro. First thing we see here about Jesus is the fact that he looks around second thing that we see is that he gets angry. He gets angry. It says he looked about with them with anger. 
When Jesus looked around, he did so with anger. This word is used of sap rising in a tree as it builds and builds. It also means wrath. Do you know something that's very interesting? You never see Jesus getting angry at a tax collector. You never see Jesus get angry at a prostitute. He gets angry at the legalistic, religious leaders of the day who thought they were better than everybody else by what they did. We don't think much today about the wrath of God. We don't talk about it much. In fact, a lot of people don't even like talking about it. We'll sing the song in church, In Christ Alone. There are a lot of churches that wanted to sing that song, but they want, instead of that part where it says the wrath of God was satisfied, they wanted that phrase taken out by the people who wrote it, the Gettys that wrote that song. And because they wouldn't take that out, it wasn't allowed in a big old section of churches because it talked about the wrath of God. But you've got to understand something, that coming forward, the wrath of God is going to be on display. Book of Revelation, chapter 6, verse 15 through 17, tells us what it's going to be like in the end. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath is come. And who shall be able to stand? That day is coming. But as we see in this passage, his anger passed pretty quickly here. And... In this passage, it's used in the aorist tense, which shows his anger is momentary in this passage. But he gets angry. He's upset. But look at what happens with Jesus, with a holy heart. He's angry, but he gets grieved. Look at what it says there, and when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their heart. He's grieved. Has the idea of continually grieving. He feels pain and sorrow. He's mad and sad at the same time. He's angry. He's afflicted. Sounds like Isaiah 53, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. When Jesus considered the hard hearts in Matthew chapter number 23 and verse 37... This is what it says about Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as the hens gather her chickens under her wings, and yet would not. Another occasion in the book of Luke, he wept over the city. Why does Jesus grieve? Because he loves people. That's why. What is it that makes Jesus get angry? 
and grieved. It's something far worse than a man with a withered hand. It's a withered heart. To the Pharisees, the man with a withered hand was just a pawn. To Jesus, he's one of his children, or a person made in the image of God. The legalism of these Pharisees had eroded their love for people, and it just led to the hardness of their heart. The word hardening there, it has, it's describing a marble. That's how their heart was. So church, what type of heart do you have today? Do you have a humble heart? Do you have a hard heart? Do you have a holy heart? Say, what do you mean? Let's apply this to our lives and go home. First thought, we should be angry about sin. The Bible says that we're to be angry in a righteous kind of way. Be angry and sin not. When you see a child abused, that should anger you. When you hear of abortion, it should anger you. We should be angry about the evils of our culture today. There's a place for holy indignation. But we got to be very careful. Are you angry because of what someone did to you? Or is it a righteous anger based on what they've done to God or what our society is doing to God? And may I just add, we should be more angry about the sin we commit in our own lives than everyone else's sin. We should be angry about sin. How about this one? It's even better to grieve greatly about sin. When's the last time you just grieved about sin? When's the last time you grieved over our country? and the road that it's heading. And everything that we see on the news, every single day, it's something new. When's the last time? They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. A prayer I pray often, Lord, break my heart for the things that break your heart. It's a good prayer for God's people to pray. What did Paul say in the book of Romans? Romans chapter 9, verse 2, and then chapter 10, verse number 1. That I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. In chapter 10, verse number 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for Israel, that they might be saved. When's the last time you just grieved over the lost around us? When's the last time? When's the last time you grieved for your neighbor. Just yesterday, one of our neighbors, I don't know if it's if it's happening around you, but in our little area where the six house the, these houses literally are super close. You have six houses. And in the past 3 months, one couple moved out. Then um, right next to us there's a family of 4 that is moving to Texas tomorrow. 
And then there's a family, so three out of the six in the block, another family just had an open house yesterday for their house. And the family that just put their house for up for an open house, I have not talked to them about the gospel yet. And just, I was thinking yesterday, before they move, and, th and they're Chinese, I don't even know if I can speak to them. I'm going to get a Chinese track, I'm going to do what I can. But when's the last time you just grieved and had s heaviness of heart? For the lost. We get mad at sin. But Jesus, he got upset, but he was grieved. When's the last time you grieved? Next. It's important to work hard to keep your heart humble. The Bible tells us in the book of James, chapter number 4, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Verse number eight, draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Some things we can apply to our lives this morning. Hey, it's okay to be angry about sin. But it's even better if we can grieve about sin. It's important to work hard to keep your heart humble. One of the best ways to keep your heart humble is to number four, remember what Jesus did for you. Man, on Sunday nights, I love our series on the book of Mark on Sunday mornings, but I think I love the book of Romans and our study on Sunday nights even more. In that, and we looked at last week, we didn't finish it up tonight, we're going to finish up the rest of verse number five, I mean verse number six through verse number ten, I believe, of chapter five. In that while we were yet sinners... We were weak. We were without strength, the Bible says there. We were in our sin. We're ungodly, and we're his enemy in those four verses. And yet, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Wow, that can't humble us. Remember what he did. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. The one we are singing about this morning majesty humbled himself you want to stay humble stay close to Jesus you want to not be humble get your eyes on everybody else <laughs> I'm doing better than they are that's why our standard of living doesn't come from our neighbor we're supposed to be looking to Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith keep your eyes on him Remember what Jesus did for you and I. 
I don't want to be like the Pharisee. But I'll tell you this, there are times in my life where I do have a hard heart. And sometimes things help aid to make it hard. But there's no excuse. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's what we need today.